session. Podcast Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum. I'm sitting here with Dineo Sechepopape at the session, and uh, Dineo, your exhibition has opened yesterday night. Thank you for joining me uh, in this talk today. Uh, I'm very grateful for this uh, wonderful opportunity to talk about and reflect upon your exhibition after two intense weeks of installation we've spent and this fabulous um, party yesterday night. So um, you've um, given us a new site-responsive installation that um, evolves in a sequence of rooms in the basement. And it's a very rich and intense physicality with its numerous elements that one can see, smell, and hear. So I thought it would be nice to start, before we talk about the many details and their rich meaning, with a first verbal walkthrough. Could you give that to us? Hello. Hi, Annette. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Good to be here with you. Good to be here. Um, so as one walks in, uh, one encounters a wall that's painted with uh, soil uh, that's been sprayed on the wall. The soil is in uh, um, numerous patterns, some geometric shapes, circles, triangles, squares, squiggles, zigzags, half circles. Yeah, and they're repeated uh, on the wall. The image was based on a, um, an image that came from a dream or through a dream. And on the left, then uh, one encounters uh, uh, my name, and underneath that, it's uh, the title of the show, which means in English, uh, a big love that has no outside. And then one walks further, and the first room, one encounters uh, um, the shape out of soil. It fills uh, most of the space, it occupies most of the space. On the wall, there's a small image, small print out of uh, an image by a South African photographer called Andrew Shabangu. The title of that image is um, Homage to the Ancestors of the Middle Passage. I hope I have the title right. And then one uh, walks around again, almost in a spiral way. There's an entrance to the soil form. The soil form comes up to about uh, waist height to most people. And to the entrance of the form are two triangles um, on each side. One walks in, one feels oneself moving in a spiral kind of emotion. And then one, once one is inside the, the form, one is surrounded by it, almost like a donut that one is <laughs> sitting in or within. It's also like a courtyard or an entranceway or um, something like that. And then you continue to the next room. Uh, oh, you also encounter pink light in the first room, but it gets stronger as you get to the second room. And uh, along the left wall, you'll see um, some shapes um, on the wall made out of light. They are light bowls. Yeah, you see them also on the right as well. And you also hear the sound of bees in the space. You hear them from the first room as you enter. You also smell 
as you enter uh, various smells. And then you continue walking. You might encounter a few cookies along the way, cookies made out of soil, not to be eaten with your mouth. And then you carry on to the last room and you'll encounter the room filled with soil on the ground with some forms on top as well. One is able to walk in and walk on the soil. Yeah, again, also moving in a spiral way, entering the space from the right and then moving leftwards. There's a way to go back to the back of the room and back again to the middle of the room. And the center of the room, there's a hole. In the hole, there is um, a bowl, and inside the bowl is a, a pot. Uh, on top of the pot is um, a beaded thing that covers the top of the, the clay pot. Um, inside the clay pot, flowers um, that you might not be able to see with your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I think one already has a good picture of all the different kind of elements that are coming um, together. So you are drawing really on the historic significance of the material you use. And so what memories are carried in these elements? Uh, maybe we can pick out one example, which is really crucial, that the land or the soil or clay, you use it in many different ways. So what does that mean for you? So the different ways that the soil is used uh, um, as dust, gatherings of soil particles that are gathered with the hand that form lines which shape the space on the ground. Uh, and then also the soil is coagulated uh, in some moments, uh, compressed into soil cookies um, that you see on the floor. And then there's also uh, soil which is, again, um, condensed on the ground um, that has been uh, stepped on or tempered. And then also in that sculptural form, that's like a, a hole with an opening. And also clay vessels as well. So all the different ways that the clay, soil, earth, dust um, have been used it's in a way a tautology of the nature of the material when it's condensed, as in the clay pot in the middle of the room that has been burnt and it's stable. And then the less stable um, aspects of it as well, when it's uh, fragile and it flakes. Seeing the flowers on top of the soil also then describes the journey of soil metaphorically as well as this uh, thing of creation. Things such as flowers or life are able to come from it, referring to various um, creation stories of having emerged from dust, that story ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm -hmm. um, when you come into the world and when you leave it, you return back to that same material. Uh, which is, again, that tautological entry also into the work. One encounters uh, um, an aspect of oneself in that way, um, a material that is uh, key in the body, and also this uh, supportive ground which supports all of life, all of us, uh, which houses, uh, feeds, creates, well, it has uh, a potential to build. Yeah, 
to start. And also, of course, it's political histories as well, sociological histories, what land means, um, home, place to reproduce oneself, to die, to live, battles, wars that have been uh, fought about land, about place, uh, the ownership of or the disposition of and also where where the soil holds, um, as in the balls that are repeated, the ball forms, the circular shapes that are open at the top, uh, that are able to hold from below. Also like the womb as well, or vessels that carry, that feed, yeah. Yeah, so this kind of motive of the vessel, I think, is very... Um, uh, yeah, present in the exhibition, and uh, you one can encounter it in many different shapes. And so it's also the land itself which becomes a container um, of memories, of history, really, which I think you really, in a very magnificent way, combine with the other elements you're using. So you already mentioned the title when you gave us the short walkthrough at the beginning, which translates to a big love that has no outside. So it's about the relation of elements and how they come together. And you, when we were talking before, were mentioning another creation story, which seems to be crucial for this exhibition, which goes that when rock and fire collide, water was born. So, as we've been talking about the land, maybe we can continue with the rain and what rain and water in this exhibition means. And maybe also I would be interested in very specifically what forms of rain you think of and remember when you think about your exhibition. The rain was um, almost the beginning part of the process. Um thinking about rain or rain making, the smell of the rain, the smell of the ground just before it rains, of everything, how that uh, affects the light as well, just before it rains, what that means um, in memory, where it sits in my memory and um, in my heart space as well. I find in Bansoto, Tswana, Southern African cultures in general, this reverence of, of rain uh, perhaps also because the place where I come from is a bit dry. So the rain also uh, signals a, a kind of wealth related to life, being able to grow things and uh, to drink, the thing of life itself. And in um, there are a lot of uh, Bedi songs that refer to the rain and uh, a certain kind of rain, Pulayami Dupi, uh, a rain that doesn't stop, just and there's this romance just about how this rain is so nourishing and rich. Mm -hmm. And also thinking about how um, in Botswana, their currency is called bula, which means rain as well. There's such a fecundity in the in the term and the smell. Yeah, and all the various things that it points to, that it opens up to as well. Um, which is, uh, for me, this opening, like a fountain of love that just gives and gives mm -hmm. and gives and gives. Yeah, the rain falling on ground, on the leaves, on people, on animals, on objects, almost without discrimination. While also thinking about how the water then moves through the soil and the idea of the water itself being this gift from the sky god to the earth goddess. Um, and it's their way of making love 
And through that process, then all these plants and life on earth then grow out of the ground. Yeah, so it's that kind of uh, a love that's eternal. Now I'm thinking of that song by um, Stevie Wonder. How does it go? I think it's called As. Until the sun stopped revolving around the earth or... um, No, no, no. I'm getting the lyrics wrong. <laughs> but anyways, it describes this uh, um, the scenario of this person, um, how this person will love this being entity experience just until the world is in yeah disarray, until the sun stops shining, or until yeah, the sun denies itself of its being. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that also reminds me of that. So... Your aim is really to create an interchange of experience and a um, springboard of another rationality with your show. And so the exhibition is very charged and carried by a spiritual power, which one as a visitor can feel. And in the context of art, a mystical uh, strength is often referred to as aura. But in the case of your exhibition, I really hesitate to use this term. But I'm wondering really, how do you talk about this spirituality you, you evoke? Do you have a term for it also? Or is it really the elements itself? I mean, how, how do you capture this? Um... Yeah, I also don't quite have a term for it. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm also curious about why you um, you hesitate to call it aura and what the implications of calling it aura are. Maybe it's kind of, a, I don't know, it's, for me it's a term which is also linked to my westernized knowledge and I know that re- you really referring to a different kind of knowledge and... Um, yeah, more going back to the lived experience of African people. And I was just wondering if that has a different, uh, I just assume it has a different language, even though I'm not sure than how you can translate it, really. And maybe we are entering a sphere here where we kind of have to work without terms also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an open question for me at that mm-hmm. point. I guess it stems from my lived experience uh, as an African and going uh, um, from that seed and then uh, seeing how the experiences also interweave with the experiences of others uh, globally as well, that there's something that happens uh, within and beyond our small groupings. What one recognizes in the work, uh, one recognizes um, because they also, uh, that thing also lives in them as well. It's present, um, it's ignited, let's say, it's awakened uh, through through the process of engaging. Even though it starts from my autobiographical uh, note, let's say, but the note uh, springs open like a spiral, spirals out. Yeah, I guess similarly to the title as well, this thing of uh, relationality, us having all an experience of Earth, all an experience of um, the Earth's processes, an experience of the physical uh, experience of it and also the metaphysical one, even if it's not uh, um, uh, acknowledged or articulated, but there's still a sense that reminds one of one's own uh, physicality or or frailty as well or fragility uh, in relation to the elements yeah thinking about your 
autobiography, um, you once mentioned that you were growing up in a westernized context and with a westernized uh, school curriculum. So when and how did you realize the importance of the knowledge of your ancestors? How was this process, I don't know if it was a process of re-understanding and reconnecting with the history, with the landscape? How do you live with these contradictions? For some years back, I found myself connecting more towards uh, um, my grandmother who's passed. I have one of her names in my name. And thinking about uh, the experiences uh, um, that she had in life, uh, my experiences as well, the experiences uh, of my generation as well, um, what is happening uh, uh, in the country uh, since I was born and um, in the present as well. Questions of land and ownership, uh, race, ethnicity, gender. What do all those things mean and... Uh, what do they mean for Dineo in the present, for Sacher in the present, for Sacher in the past? So other people who had uh, the same name before. Yeah, what was happening in the generation of my grandmother that had affected her body? What was happening in the land where she grew up? What were the political acts that were passed? What kind of experiences might she have gone through physically? emotionally that then shaped um, what was happening um, in her body? How did that translate into her physicality and what messages um, were then carried through to my mother and then through to me? What of the past uh, still remains now? What things are unresolved from then? What things need addressing? The experience of colonialism or, or having having been born during apartheid and uh, living through the um, transition moments and the now as well. What do those signal in my body? What do they register? And also my interaction with the rest of the world. What does that story mean to the rest of the world? Or how is it um, living in other parts of the world? And what does it say to the rest of the world that there's uh, a woman who had uh, fibroids or um, cancer of the womb at a certain time after uh, these particular political acts were passed? Is that related to the land only or is it um, the grains that she was eating, which are not indigenous grains as well, which had been I guess one could say indigenized now, but corn and the history of corn coming from the America and then the colonial trade routes and that displacing sorghum and millet, which again relates to the history of the land, what the land produces, our relationship with it, um, our estrangement uh, to it. Um, uh, Christianity, its um, its trajectory, its, uh, its passages and this morning I was thinking again about one of the, through reading Fanon and this uh, idea of the malady of the head being because of the social um, and not just the personal biographical, but that the structure also then creates the maladies. Speaking then about the politics, uh, how the politics affects the internal landscape and that also shapes it can go in a loop, the transference of energy between the internal and the outer. And how do we rearrange the patterns? Um, I mean, this um, motif you're describing between the inside and the outside spatially plays an important role in the exhibition, doesn't it? 
uh, I think with how you enter space and how you feel enclosed and then you go out into a more wide open at the same time you've built a landscape from outside in the inside then you use a very thin line which again creates a space that holds you as a visitor I think so there is really this moment you're describing this kind of spiral and loops that one in many many forms can find in the exhibition it's a very strong moment of the exhibition spatially I think but I would like to go back to this kind of dialectic you're describing between the personal and the rest of the world and global event and local site so when you come to a place like Vienna and develop an exhibition which is so site responsive as yours is how do you relate to a local site? Um, I remember one of the, the earlier conversations we'd had, um, we spoke about the Venus of Willendorf mm -hmm. or finding out also that it was uh, from here or found here mm -hmm. um, and then journeying to the place and finding out that it was... Um, that the rock itself had been from elsewhere and then it had been planted elsewhere. I think they just found out this week that it must be from Italy somewhere oh, yeah? because oh, of the microstructure of the stone, oh. which they've, I don't know, with some high technology uh, oh. have analyzed. Oh, <laughs> and interesting. Yeah. So it's quite yeah. a distance people have walked yeah. at the time. Yeah. yeah. And when, when we went to Willendorf, they said, oh, at the time, it was said that it had come from more further east. So it's interesting how the trajectory of it, whether imaginary or <laughs> or factual, yeah. Um, and then one of the other things we spoke about was um, uh, how femininity, uh, womanhood had also been um, instrumentalized in various political agendas. Uh, what had come up was how uh, womanhood was also spoken about uh, um, by the Nazis, um, what the feminine then meant in that time through feminism as well, um, what it then meant through 70s, 80s, 90s feminism. Engaging with that also engages the history of the place as well. Well, it also connects to the rest of the world because it affects everywhere else. And having learned about the Venus of Willendorf through uh, art school education and um, uh, a westernized uh, um, education at art school, I guess we also did a trip, the same trip when we went to Willendorf, um, we immersed ourselves in um, into the mud, into the soil, into the landscape of here, into the waters of here as well. So that process of um, of immersion, also of involvement, also affects the work. Uh, it is yeah a way to to speak to the place, the way the the space also speaks back, the way one listens. Yeah, and also having done it together as well. Also with Hans, the technician, journeying together through looking at the um, the history of here in the past, coming with uh, what I know, coming with the um, yeah the stories of um, of you growing up uh, in a farm as well, and Hans is also 
passion for soil. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were very, very, very lucky that he was so experienced in working with steeped clay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he loves it. <laughs> so that um, that triangle of, of things relating, yeah, mm-hmm. that also um, immerses um, me in the space and the process. Mm-hmm. I think it's really amazing how you translate all this and all this knowledge into the form of an exhibition. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, uh, why did you choose this form of knowledge, like fine arts, to express yourself and your beliefs? And what does the art world offer you to do that? <laughs> I mean, the art world can be quite peculiar, I think, at times, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> I was actually asking myself that question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet how to answer that. And also trying to to find out whether um, it is the right place or not. Or Why did yeah. you become an artist in the first place? <laughs> or what, what attracted you in the beginning? The silence that it offers in uh, when making work, there's a world one enters into, yeah, where you have space, yeah, create space. Yeah, it opens um, the lenses inside as well. It enables one to also ask questions that are perhaps not allowed in the everyday. Yeah, questions uh, that have also been asked by other artists in the past. And not only artists, um, I guess in the westernized sense, things that are performed outside of the script of the everyday then open up, yeah, the channel for other universes. There's something also about magic involved in uh, in art making, making something out of nothing and imagining and illusion and creating. You very often describe your way of working as dreaming. Yeah, you refer to a dream on the way you... Um, come up with your ideas and how you produce them and working on the installation it was sometimes tricky because uh, I tried to explain to the technicians and that in a dream there's no weight and no logic of material we had to figure out how to bridge that yeah maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this idea or uh, of, of artistic production and how how your dreams become productive I guess it's also a way to then try to understand what the dream itself means or meant, uh, what it uh, what it's revealing. Sometimes uh, through dreams, then things are things are actual sculptures um, or not <laughs> forms in relation to other forms. Hmm. What does the dream do? Well, in the in the first drawing um, on the right, uh, when one enters a space. When trying to understand what that dream was, yeah, for me, it makes most sense to then see it in space or see its effect on my physical body. If connecting to the emotional memory of how one experienced it in the dream is uh, is a bit far, then bringing it into this space. Also, a way of acknowledging the thin line between realities as well, things that seem not real or things that seem real, or things that are and things that are not. Again, also in um, these uh, these vessels that carry things, the the shapes that are like bowls, that they carry things that uh, um, some eyes can see, 
Not all the eyes can see, but another eye in the body is able to see what is contained in that bowl. So there's the night dream, and then there's the dream that then um, acknowledges this other way of looking. The night dream uh, then allows, perhaps allows me to then acknowledge this other space that uh, that exists simultaneously, which also then accounts for the rest of the space where no objects appear to be. So let's say in the last room, the top half of the exhibition, there's something occupying that space <laughs> that is uh, not uh, immediately visible in the eye, but it's framed by everything else that's there, carves out all these places where it is, and also in the first room as well, that it, uh, um, it envelops the other shape. This other space envelops uh, this one that seems so physically present, but it's also the relationship between this outer space and this inner space that um, uh, perhaps that's the aura. <laughs> <laughs> what I really like, and I think that also classifies your exhibition and is one of its um, characteristics, is that you do not step the bound, but you always have um, an approach to heal. And uh, so the exhibition is really carried by a certain kind of um, softness. And I think that is something very specific and uh, also nice. And there, one to come back to the title, you really have again this big laugh, which seems to be very um, essential for your approach, isn't it? I guess so. It's... Um... I also don't want to deny the um, the power of pointing out to the wound uh, itself. Yeah, there's the... Um, I guess that's also part of the... Um, yeah, part of the whole process of uh, naming the monster, pointing at the wound, seeing what the wound is made of. Let's say the wound is shaped like a hole. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing what else is present in that hole, whether that wound is able to carry something and what that um, thing that it carries is, what it then presents the problem of space, how to deal with this thing that is shaped by the shape of the room, how to, how to reorganize this thing that seems like a wound. I guess the classic thing of uh, this painter looking at an empty canvas and in pain struggling to start, um, how to speak, in a different sense, how to then um, speak and um, be in presence with the divine, so to speak. How to how to allow it entrance, how to accommodate it or hold it, even with the wounds. At the end of our conversation, I would like to go back to this one little uh, image you've borrowed and presented as if it was taken out of a newspaper. Uh, the photography by um, Andrew Shavango, and that also points to your next exhibition where you will be dealing with the ocean. Do you like to tell us a little bit about this, how this exhibition here at the Secession sweeps into the next one and how this is related? So this image, I've been um, carrying it around uh, with me in my mind and also printed out for some time. Uh, the image um, by Andrew Shabangu um, is called Homage to the Ancestors of the Middle Passage, um, but the message uh, in the work is clear. And the work, I carried it around uh, for some time, not knowing the title, 
just moved by this image of this woman um, by the ocean, woman dressed in white, clearly performing a ceremony um, in the waters. A few years back, I was on a residency with the TBA Academy in Solomon Islands. And uh, while on the ocean, then there were messages about uh, um, the transatlantic slave trade that were coming through in different ways. The waves um, kept uh, reminding me of um, this man, uh, Gordon, with scars on his back. Uh, there's a famous image of an enslaved uh, African-American man who, when he was trying to run away, had been uh, lacerated. Also, while he was um, enslaved, um, the marks on his body looking like mountains, looking like um, the ocean waves as well. And um, also various people along the trip asking me about... Um, uh, Lucky Dube, a South African musician, and the only song of his I could remember was a song called I'm a Slave. And uh, remembering that and remembering that image of Gordon with the scars and the waters and being on the water and um, the ancestors of the Middle Passage were just coming through a lot. And um, yeah, so that then led me to a work uh, looking at people who traveled who were taken from West Africa to the Americas. So I then um, visited Ghana, Senegal, uh, Richmond, um, in Virginia and the US, and then also New Orleans, connecting with the land there and also making drawings uh, using the clay from there, uh, connecting with the waters from there as well. What did being on that body of ocean mean to them going in between? Um, what was that uh, that space of waiting what was left behind in that passage? What remains there? What does the water itself remember from that time and from before and from from after? So uh, that image uh, um, I will reuse um, in uh, in ocean space and the exhibition coming up in uh, in a few months, next month or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, that image will also travel. Um, there with me related to a video work that I'm also in the process of making. Thank you, Dineo. I guess just can say thank you for this Aww. wonderful exhibition, for this great talk Aww. and sharing ideas with Aww. us. And uh, it's been really a pleasure of uh, yeah, traveling with you for a short time <laughs> <laughs> only. And oh. uh, yeah, being able to to look into um, your way of working. And I, oh. yeah, just uh, am looking forward to whatever you will kind of present us in the future also. Um, oh. Many, oh. many thanks. Thank you, Annette. Yeah, it's been uh, wonderful <laughs> working together. And sharing the process and sharing space and time and yeah, and thank you for making space, yeah, <laughs> for this and also the sessions and everybody who has um, worked on the show in various ways. And of course, thanks to my ancestors as well and the ancestors of the Middle Passage, the ancestors of all the lands that I've, that I've traveled through that I will travel to in the future as well. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.